0: I've got a deal. I've got a deal for you. A free copy of Messiah Magazine for anyone who can tell me what the first elementary principle is. We spent about 11 weeks talking about Hebrews 6. These let us move past, right, the elementary principles. Anyone remember the first one? It's kind of a big thing. Okay, I like Messiah Magazine. By the way, everyone can get a free copy of Messiah Magazine. First Roots of Zion has revamped Messiah from top to bottom, and subscriptions are available uh, free to share with anybody. Your churches, wherever you are, you can go online to First Fruits and do that. So I'll still give someone this, even though you disappointed me so incredibly badly repentance from dead works number one where the whole journey starts repentance from dead works and now based on this response I can understand why Paul said let's move past the the basics (laughs) right? repentance from dead works what's it mean? it means stop pursuing holiness through obedience to Torah no, that's not what it means. Repentance from dead works means stop sinning. Stop doing things that make you dead. Second one, anyone? Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly, for making me, give me some value up here. That one person who listens to me talk nonstop actually is the one who knows it. Faith on God or in God, not Faith that God is, not belief that God, I mean, not belief in God. Belief that God, that God is righteous, that God is equipped, that he is going to judge the nations and all of the earth. That God is going to bring about the redemption of his people. I believe not that God is, but that God does. Number three, instructions about washings. Thank you. Baptisms, immersions. And we learn this is not some magic process of washing off original sin or some Christian creation that came later. later. This is a, a public acceptance for the disciple of Yeshua to stand before the community, go under the water and say, I am moving forward. I've counted the cost. I have a new identity, becoming someone new in Messiah. That series was called Got Milk. Was called. We only got through three. You know how many there are? 1,100 elementary principles in the Bible. <laughs> We're going to be talking about them till I retire. There are six in the book of Hebrews. And I meant to come back to them after we did the Jewish Jesus. But the Spirit led me elsewhere. You get it? message about the spirit okay cool I'm getting we're making progress you're remembering more things anyone know the fourth elementary principle what was it you got it that's it number four laying on of hands we're back in got milk why because you're supposed to know these things These are basics. We got to move on to the weightier meat matters, not milk. But I'm going to give you three milk lessons. It gets much more complicated from here. Resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. So relax and enjoy today because it's pretty easy today. All right. The laying on of hands. Why did I go with the spirit study first? Well, because it is this principle, the laying on of hands, that got me thinking about Holy Spirit and Pentecostalism and all these other types of things. Why? How much more Pentecostal does it get than the idea of, come over here, brother, let me lay hands upon (laughs) you. Right? It's like, it's a... If you want to be healed, somebody's got to lay hands on you. And there's a connotation that is often associated with this idea of laying on hands. It is healing. And there are reasons for that. Anyone know why the idea of laying on hands is associated with healing? Because it's all over the Bible that people lay hands on people and they get healed. Especially Yeshua, Mark 16, the end of Mark 16. These signs will accompany those who believed in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents. They'll drink any deadly poison. It will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, did you hear all the things I just said you could do? That's Mark, the book of Mark, right? Starting in chapter 9, verse 9 of 16. It's an important side note here. It says here that we can speak with new tongues, pick up servants, drink any deadly poison. It will not harm them. Okay, And it also says they'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I need to let you know something. That end of Mark is not in any of the original manuscripts of the Bible. Mark ends in 8, verse 8. That's 9 through 16. Why do I tell you that? Well, it's not that it couldn't be inspired or that it's not true, but somebody put it in there later. Now, if I am going to pick up a rattlesnake or drink deadly poison, I want to know those words came from Yeshua. That's a side note. Don't go out in the woods and hunt for rattlesnakes and try to pick them up. Okay. Side note. The point is in Matthew 16, Yeshua uh, talks about or this person somewhere from some tradition talks about the laying on of hands. But I mean, actually we know Paul did it. The father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux. Oh man, I don't ever want a bloody flux. To whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and he healed him. That's real. Yeshua, Luke 4, when the sun was setting, all that they had who were sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So, why is there a connotation with the laying on of hands and healing? Because it happens all in the Bible. But, there's a strange consideration. After the first three elementary principles that we've just had, which are basic, monumentally important things for a disciple. Repent, believe on God, be immersed. Now, get out there and heal them. That's a weird next point, isn't it? It doesn't really exactly flow with what you might be thinking you would would tell a disciple. And why why would the author put that in there like that? Repent, have faith, be immersed, and go heal him. He didn't, because that's not what he's talking about. And that's not what it means. The laying on of hands as an elementary principle is not talking specifically here about healing, Now, I am not obsessed with Pentecostal theology or Pentecostalism or Azusa Street or anything. But there is, without a doubt, a strong sense of that idea within Pentecostalism. And we talked about how incredibly influential Pentecostalism has been over the last 115 years. So when people hear this, this is often where their mind goes. Laying on of hands, healing, but there's so much more. You see, the laying of hands, as I'm going I'm to suggest, and I know this is going to be way out of the box for me and outrageous, but I'm going to suggest that the laying on of hands may have a richer, deeper, more ancient origin than Pentecostal prayers for healing. It might even be Jewish in its origin. I know. You never know how crazy it can get in here. The biblical basis, the biblical basis of laying on of hands is bigger than healing. It started in, well, it didn't start here, but we see it as far back as Genesis 48. Remember what happened in Genesis 48? I'll give you a hand. I'll give you a a recollection. Old man sitting in a chair, crosses his hands, prays. Remember who that is? Jacob, and he's blessing what we just did. May God make you like Ephraim and Menashe. He's laying his hands upon them. Why? He blessed them. He, he, he put, pronounced a blessing over them. Now, blessing is a pretty broad word. Blessing, praise, celebrate, consecrate, to make happy, to invoke God's favor upon one via a blessing. And that is important. But that's the foundational component of laying on of hands. Now, what is a subcategory of laying on of hands? Healing. Has anyone ever been healed? It's a blessing. See how that works? It's a subcategory. It's one part of the thing that laying on of hands means. It's a type of blessing. But is this the elementary principle for that? The new disciples would need to know about healing through the laying on of hands. One, one might think that they would probably already know that as good Jews and people who had been discipled into this thing already. But what else is connected? Where else can we go? The laying on of hands, will anyone have any ideas? What's a second reason or purpose of laying on of hands? Authority Authority is one. Yes, definitely. Others? That one falls sort of under this one that I'm going to say. Transfer. Transfer. And we see this in the sacrificial service. Leviticus 1.4, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. Leviticus 3, he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood around the altar. Now, maybe then, maybe that's what we could suggest is the elementary principle that the author is bringing out for us in this fourth part. You need to remember, you need to remember, new disciples, that you, in essence, laid hands upon Yeshua, that he took upon himself all of your sins, that he became sort of your, your um, atonement. It's true, but that idea of substitutionary atonement for Yeshua and and that sort of thing, that was was actually a later development than what was happening right now in the early formations of the New Testament. And, And if that's what he meant, remember always that Yeshua is your scapegoat that you laid hands on him and he took all your sins and They should have already known that a long time ago in the process of becoming a disciple. That would have happened before repentance. That would have been the first thing for a new disciple to know. Yeshua can take away sins like nothing ever before. So maybe he was trying to help them understand the sacrificial system. No, they didn't need that. They already knew that too. There is something else, and the laying on of hands is indeed a transfer. It is a transfer of authority. It's a transfer of blessing, but it can be the transfer in the sense of something bad, like we just described, sin's atonement, but it can also be the transfer of something tov, good, something good. We looked at blessing. Blessing. But I'm talking deeper than that. It can represent a transfer of authority, of appointment, of identity. And here's an example. The Levites, again, represented Israel, yes? That was the, that was the arrangement. It's this week's Torah portion, actually. Baha Lotha, number eight, numbers eight. Present the Levites before the Lord, and the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Why? A transfer of identity. The Levites now could stand in their stead. Why? Because Israel, the sons, in essence, anointed them to do that. By how? How? How did they do that? They laid their hands upon the Levites. Very literal type of thing. Now, is that sacrifice... Is that the sacrificial system? Well, sort of, because the Levites stood in and offered sacrifices. But it's not that. It is primarily about this idea. You represent me. I am giving you authority to represent me by laying my hands upon you. Now that is getting us a little bit closer the elementary principle for the laying on of hands. It represents also in Judaism and later Christianity this investment of identity. Way back, way back, long before Hebrews 6 and even before Yeshua in Numbers 27. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun. A man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him and have him stand before Eleazar, the priest and before the congregation. But you heard that. Lay your hand on him. And the result, what was the result of Moses laying his hands on Joshua? Deuteronomy tells us in 34. He was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Why? Because Moses laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel did as he commanded. This, there was no healing There was no sacrificial stuff. There was none of those things. There wasn't that. But it was definitely a transfer, a designation of authority. And Joshua received the spirit from Moses. The spirit of wisdom given through Moses laying on of hands. Now this idea, this idea of uh, anointed, ordained, uh, leaders going all the way back to Moses. This is very well established within Judaism, right? We find this in Pirke Avot. Moses received the Torah at Sinai, transmitted it to Joshua, Joshua to the elders, the elders to the prophets, the prophets to the men of the great assembly. There is a transmission of authority that goes back from Moses all the way down. And how does that happen? How are rabbis anointed by the laying on of hands, smicha, smicha, to anoint, to authorize, to give identity, to say, you represent a chain of authority that goes all the way back to Moses. And that's an important thing in Judaism, actually. That those people, those rabbis, those sages who were going to be making laws for Israel, they needed to be invested with an authentic authority. Not everybody got to just stand up and say, this is what I think. You had to have this. And we get even a hint of that through Yeshua's own words. When he's talking, remember what he says about where these guys sit and what you should do with them? What you should do when they tell you something? Matthew 23, Yeshua spoke to the crowds and his disciples saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, whatever they tell you, do and comply with it all. Now, a little theological bias thrown in there for you. Just have seated themselves in the seat of Moses. It's not a great translation. Yeshua is saying, these guys have authority. They have received it. What they tell you, do. There's no usurpation. There's no criminal behavior here. So just another side note. But what does this have to do with elementary principles? Well, I think you probably can already see where this is going to end up, right? Um, Acts will make this point quite clearly for us. The disciples hit Samaria in Acts 8. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple of things about this. Realize this is the first time that anything dramatic like this related to the Holy Spirit has happened outside of Jerusalem and the Shavuot experience. This is a very, very unique occurrence that's happening. Now, it's not surprising in any way that from Jerusalem, the Spirit and the disciples made their way over to Samaria. Why is that not surprising? I'll tell you why because Yeshua said that's exactly how it was going to happen. He said, you will receive power in Acts 8, 1, 8. You will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see the progression? What's happening here is exactly what Yeshua said would happen as the transmission of the Holy Spirit moves through the community of disciples. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and next we meet uh, Cornelius in 10. The nations received the Holy Spirit. So there's a transfer, okay? Hang on to that thought for just one second. Something special and monumentally important is happening here. The kingdom is going forth. Therefore, the unique occurrence that took place in Acts 2, the giving of the Holy Spirit that took place in Acts 2, has not yet happened in Samaria. Who was going to bring it to Samaria? The guys who, in essence, Yeshua had laid his hands upon and anointed as the apostolic authority, as his representatives. Yeshua is saying, you represent me. So who else could possibly have gone and laid hands that the Holy Spirit would come to Samaria? They did it. But here's, here's something that's very important to not let me be confusing on. okay? We need to pause right here. They were The Holy Spirit was coming to Samaria via the disciples and laying on the laying ha- on the hands to anoint, to invest, to authorize, to transfer to these newly recognized disciples. Now, is this the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we just talked for five weeks about Azusa Street and Pentecostalism and all these other kinds of things? Because man, That certainly sounds like that type of theology. That they laid hands and the Holy Spirit showed up and tongues happened. And man, there it is. You just wasted five weeks of our lives and yours. Pause. Remember what I said above. The Spirit was being poured out in a special, new, and unique way. Very few people had received it. This was something new happening. Now, sometimes it was evidenced by tongues and they would receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Other times it wasn't. Sometimes the Holy Spirit came before baptism, Cornelius even. So you cannot look at the events in Acts and then say, well, we've got it right there. That's the theological blueprint of how the Holy Spirit works and we've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's not it. This is unique stuff. New, amazing, unique. But something happened. Something unique and amazing was born in this process. That process of becoming a disciple immersion laying on of hands that stuck that became the process for how disciples entered into the community of disciples what do i mean it's very easy listen and it didn't you didn't have to have tongues and fire and all that other kind of stuff that, wasn't, that, that was unique, but that laying on of hands came to represent this very significant thing in the early followers of Yeshua. There is an authentic power in this acts, in this act of laying on of hands, in this, this Yeshua disciple connection. I say this so often, but I'm gonna say it, I was gonna say once more, but I'm gonna say it, I don't even know how many more times in my career. There is a connection between Moses and Yeshua That is undeniable. Moses, first redeemer. Yeshua, second, final redeemer. It's not surprising to see a parallel in the way that Moses worked and the way that Yeshua works. Just as Moses was given a special place, he had a unique authority with God to talk, so to speak, with God face to face. So too was Yeshua given this very unique, never before seen, never seen again position with God. Just as Moses was filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and was uh, uh, appointed the leader over the people, so too Yeshua was filled immeasurably with the Ruach HaKodesh. No limit to the amount. And he was given this spirit. And just as Moses laid his hands on his successor Joshua and the elders in Numbers, so too we can believe that Yeshua laid his hands on his father followers, his initial. And I I agree with Daniel Lancaster that in Matthew 10, Yeshua summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease and heal every sickness. I believe that that given gave them authority meant that Yeshua sat with his disciples, laid his physical and actual hands upon them and says, I am anointing you to do something amazing. This is before the Holy Spirit actually, this is Matthew. So just as the transmission went from Moses to Joshua, to the prophets, to the elders, to the prophets, so to Yeshua's disciples transmitted through this laying on of hands the power that Yeshua had given them. Their identity received from Yeshua, passed down through the act of laying on of hands. Yeshua anointed and ordained, authorized them for their work. Then the Spirit filled them with power to do it after his death. But like the precedent in Torah, it started with them. It started with them because they were the appointed reps. So the importance of, therefore, laying on of hands follows what should not be surprising, a Jewish Torah-based model of the transmission of authority. And we will wrap this up right here. We will see, we can see, actually, that this is the probable reason why it was important, elementary, if you will, that all disciples understood what it meant when someone laid their hands upon you, when you entered covenant, so to speak, when you, when you, when you re- repented from dead works, when you put your faith on God, When you were immersed, when you were baptized, and then when you came up, what happened? The community or the person that had walked through the baptism process with you or whatever laid their hands on you, the Spirit as a seal. And we know that that's something that the Spirit is. It's a seal for a later date. It was a a supernatural natural event that became part of the ritual process of making disciples in the in the ecclesia we see that in In Hebrews, we see that in other Christian writings, Justin Martyr, we see it in the apostolic constitutions. There's a lot of places where we have this precedent. The person had come from death to life. They had been redeemed and restored. They were transferred and sealed by the community as a new creation, and then given authority in the name of Yeshua, wielders of the unique power which the Holy Spirit granted. So that transmission, I will suggest, is what the author is trying to tell you about elementary principles. It's a, by the power vested in me, so to speak. I have received the power of Yeshua. Now I'm giving it to you like this. That is their new identity. And I just told you, we see, I'm I'm not making this up. I'm saying that's my interpretation, but I'm not making it up. It's not something that just showed up out of the thin air, and I thought, ooh, let me talk about that. There is this process where we see that what happened in the early community, even to the Christian community, after all the Judaism was out of it, they were doing this process of educating them, taking them through the mikvah, and then having a celebration and an investment of authority. So like most things, though, that got a little bit weird. Because then you started laying on hands for exorcisms and doing all kinds of different things that the, the Catholic Church sort of created some new things out of Judaism. They do that a lot. But it started with Judaism and the Torah, and that's something that the author needs you to know. And here's the point. What does that have to do with us? We don't do anything like that anymore. We show up, get in the baptism, and we're all good to go. We're going to heaven. Well, maybe we should. Maybe that's why it's milk. Maybe that's why it's a basic thing that everyone should know. I've already talked about that process of how cheap and easy we make it to just say, all right, you're in. Don't have to worry about anything. No Torah. You don't need to know anything about God or anything about the decision. All you need to know is that you made a decision and you're going to heaven. That is nothing like what the biblical process of making disciples was like. And so, yeah, we don't do that anymore. But maybe we should. Maybe we should invest in our disciples the fear of God, not <laughs> but oh, and the and the and the um, appreciation and fullness of what it means to be a disciple of Yeshua and to understand that what it means when I go through the mikvah and then I come up and the person who walked through it with me and the entire community is around me and they come and give me blessings and lay their hands on me and pray for the good of God to go with me forward from this decision. Wouldn't that be amazingly powerful if we had such a respect and awe for making disciples of Yeshua? I think it would. So what does that have to do with us? Well, you can say not much right now. That's back then. We don't need to know it anymore. No, I think we should. I think we should know it now. And I think it's important, and why it was elementary, this act of blessing, investment, and ordination. It was obvious then, and just because it's lost in translation, we can have it back, and we should. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Messiah and go on to maturity. Not not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works or faith toward God or instruction about washings or laying on of hands. Now you know what that means, too. Coming soon, the resurrection of the dead. Elementary principle five Shabbat Shalom.